Hello, everybody. This is Todd Underwood from SIFT, the voice of the food industry. And you're listening to Food Stories, the podcast, the show that highlights the industry that keeps 330 million people fed in the U.S. and tells the stories of the innovative people, companies, and organizations that keep the food flowing to our stores and restaurants. It's a program for people in the industry, as well as those who have interest in how food products are made and delivered with the highest quality and safety in mind. We would like to thank our sponsors who make this show and other programming possible. They are Jobs Ohio and the Ohio MEP. You can learn more about these impactful organizations in the links shared in the show description. Now, let's get to today's program. All right. Well, good morning. Today, we are joined by Anjan Contractor. He is the CEO and co-founder of BHEX Incorporated. We're very excited to have you here this morning, Anjan. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. So, Anjan, uh, for our audience, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background, your family, and, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I come from immigrant family. Uh, we moved to United States as a family in 1999, and uh, um, I was uh, about to go to university that time. So, I, I went to the Ohio State University, studied mechanical engineering, uh, undergrad, and uh, master's was in uh, material science and engineering. And then I got a job in Texas. Um, and that job was uh, mainly working on uh, Department of Defense and NASA projects. Uh, so it was fun. It was a lot of fun because it was early on. We were developing concepts and working on prototype. And then after that, if uh, Department of Defense, especially Air Force or NASA, if they like that, and then, then they would invest a lot more money to develop an actual product. So uh, that was my career. And um, around 2011, uh, I received a contract from NASA to make a 3D food printer that can personalize diet of astronauts, especially during deep space missions. So funding came from the Mars mission projects, and it continued till 2014. And then there was a congressional gridlock in 2014. So my project was uh, cut down. Uh, there's a lot of uh, funding cuts going on uh, within NASA. So uh, in 2015, I decided, uh, well, you know, they, they assigned me the company I used to work for. They assigned me Air Force project, but, but I was vested so much into that 3D food printing project that uh, I decided to quit and start my own company. So I had a little bit of capital. I invested that capital into that company. I made the first prototype and I started showcasing. And along the way, uh, the team members came, you know, they came to me and they asked me if they can join and they quit their job. So that's how so this everything was all. So you were working for a private company, right? This is right after college. Um, just so I'll back up a little bit so I can make sure I understand. And you were actually in a different company. You were working on 3D food printing for a company that was contracted with NASA. That's good. NASA was yeah. NASA was trying to use 3D food printing to solve the problem of feeding astronauts in space. Yes. Oh, so cool. But, yeah, just imagine when astronauts go to space, um, they usually are extremely busy. You know, we we don't we don't understand the intricacy of going the, in the in the space and difficulty it takes, the challenges it takes. So you know, <clears throat> when we wake up, we usually have tap uh, water uh, readily available. We have electricity readily available. So we never think that where it came from. You know, we just always think that hey, you know, we are paying bills, so it should come. But in space, sure. that's a luxury. Yeah, for sure. And, astronauts there to maintain it in themselves 
So all the life support systems, uh, breathing systems, recycling system, water, wastewater systems, uh, they have to maintain themselves. So they have very little time to cook food. Uh, so they need something either prepackaged MREs, meals ready to eat that soldiers eat. Usually, you know, we know soldiers definitely eat sure. MREs, but astronauts also eat MREs. So uh, the idea was that, uh, you know, for deep space mission, they would replace 3D food printer uh, and and farm fresh food and then dehydrate them, you know, dehydration uh, of the variety of foods we already know NASA is uh, specialized for that. Okay. Uh, uh, so Very cool. uh, dehydrate the food and then use 3D food printer to recreate the texture, shape, aroma, all the all the palatability. So, uh, so it would solve for it would make the food better. It would be better than just something straight out of a package like an MRE. It would kind of make it taste fresher and more desirable to eat in a long-term exactly. space mission. Oh, very cool. So then you were doing this. Government, uh, you know, we all love our government, but sometimes there's funding issues and things get a little more different than the in the private than the private sector. It it kind of got tied up, and you decided that hey, you didn't want to stop working on this. You wanted to continue working on this, so you decided to become an entrepreneur, which is you know, not scary at all, I'm sure. Um, so that kind of brings me to, so this is when you founded BHEX. Was this BHEX at the beginning of BHEX? Then? Yes, okay. very beginning, yeah. Okay. So you, you you decide you're going to do this on your own. Obviously, you were you thinking, I want to continue on to make things for astronauts? Or was there another problem you were looking to solve? Or what were you thinking when you started your company? Yeah, so um, at that time when I decided to start company, I didn't have much idea because it was such a new food processing machinery that uh, very few had um, idea of where it can fit, um, including myself. You know, I did some market research, but my specialty is in technology development, not the market research. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, our our first food item that uh, that was assigned to my team was to three D print pizza. Uh, with the with the, with that machine, so um, uh, I thought that we can print variety of foods. Uh, we can use this machine for dessert decoration. At some point, we can use we can use this as a tabletop machine in everyone's kitchen and personalized food. There are a couple of you know so many ideas floating around. So I made uh, a prototype and showcased it to you know several uh, events and shows. Um, but nobody could understand, you know, what is the actual application. Yeah, and it's, cool. it's new took, technology. Yeah, and it took me about nine months to do that, and I ran out of money that time. So, um, what else can I do? You know, I had three machines. I was I I had used almost all the money that I'd put in for the company. So, um, what I thought at that time was let's three D print pizza and be a catering company for time being and continue showcasing this to uh, different events in East Coast, West Coast, because everybody were thinking about either New York or Silicon Valley for funding that time. So I continued doing that. But at the same time, I started a catering company. Um, and if I have a contract, I would bring in two or three machines, depending on how many people I have to serve. And I would uh, take a few interns and uh, the co-founders I had at that time. And we would literally uh, 3d print pizza in front of people and then bake them and then serve them so people really just enjoyed that this idea of like man i'm eating a 3d printed pizza you know what exactly. year was this anjan about what time period was this we did this uh in 2016 entire 2016 okay very we cool via selling the 
uh, catering selling selling pizza as as a catering company. Gotcha. So you're kind of dual, you're dual doing two things. At one hand, you're you're kind of doing this catering business to kind of keep capital flowing, and on the other side, you're still looking at alternative applications for your your tech. Exactly. Gotcha. That's right. Yeah. Very very cool. So how did people react to? Uh, did did that go well? Did people like, man, I want to get a 3D printed pizza? How how was the reaction on the consumer side? Yeah. So that that's a very interesting question. So when I first my first pizza was not that tasty uh, it, because. <laughs> It came literally came from all the dehydrated ingredients. Uh, so you know the the flour is already dehydrated. Uh, sugars and any anything that goes in the flour is already dehydrated. The tomato paste uh, that we created uh, within the machine it also came from dehydrated tomatoes, and the cheese was also freeze dried dehydrated cheese. Gotcha. So, uh, when we rehydrated everything and recreated even pepperoni and all the toppings were dehydrated dehydrated gotcha yeah so it wasn't that tasty at all you know okay. i'm very honest but uh and several well, probably what's tasty like what you can get at a mall compared to what uh, someone in a ship to mars so probably your your you know your your what you expect yeah. is probably different so that's probably yeah. a, sc a scope yeah. issue <laughs> yeah, so you know, I mean, literally speaking, uh, I I did this demo at uh, at one of the events, and we were still using the dehydrated ingredients. And this lady said, and she was a you know a Yelp reviewer, some elite reviewer, and she mentioned that uh, this tastes like a cafeteria pizza. You know, so just to give you a context of how it sure. tastes, right? Um, and uh, uh, she said that you need to work on this. So. Um, I literally, you know, when we became a catering company, we cannot serve that uh, cafeteria pizza, right? So other than, you know, having this... Uh, but you're uh, selling, at that point, you're selling the experience as much as you're selling anything yeah. else. You're selling this experience yeah. of having a 3D printed pizza as much as you're selling the pizza, which is kind of cool. Right. Yeah. But then uh, we, we worked hard on the taste part as well. So we partnered with a, a Michelin star chef in... Uh, wow. uh, in New York City, his name is Pasquale Cosolino. He started the first um, uh, uh, Neapolitan-style pizza restaurant in Manhattan. Uh, Very cool. And uh, so he helped us with, uh, you know, what sort of, uh, you know, zero zero caputo uh, dough and, uh, you know, top-of-the-line tomatoes uh, and the cheese from Buff buffalini or what i forgot the name yeah. but a cheese you know uh and uh we literally uh started using those ingredients very high-end ingredients for the pizza and uh we tried to imitate as close to his, his technique uh, so the later end around towards the end of 2016 our pizza was uh almost close to neapolitan style pizza uh so was yeah Maybe this sounds like an odd question, but sometimes, you know, when especially in a culinary and anything that's considered artistic, sometimes I know having a family with lots of artists in it, there's resistance to technology. Was there anything when you were talking to these chefs? Were there any chefs that were like, oh, I, that's I don't want to deal with 3D printing? Did you have any of that resistance to that at all at the beginning or was it was were they quick to embrace it? Well, it was a mixed reaction. So I, I always look at the positive side. Sure. You know? Which is good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I had a, as I mentioned, you know, Pasquale Cosolino. He was a the what I what I noticed is that the most successful chefs out there, they are very humble. Yes. And and every time when they see a new food processing machinery or a new type of uh, 
plant that was grown somewhere in Peru at a you know ten thousand feet altitude, and it survived and it it grew and and the, the they would taste that and compare that 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 uh, same plant grown in Ohio somewhere. And then they would say that, you know, the iron content of that is very high, you know, and this, okay, this particular dish, I want to put this particular so here. Yeah, because it will give a lot of character. Same thing, you know, when they see the uh, uh, Neapolitan style pizza coming out of machine, they get fascinated. Yeah. And they will, they will start putting their, the, you know, their thoughts into that, that how can they make it a little better or way more uh, creative. Yeah, creative, right? So, uh, and their minds will start working on what else can they make with this, right? So my experience uh, with uh, very successful chefs uh, was very positive. That's uh, great. So the ones who say that, you know, this is handmade, you know, we do this, this, and this, you know, they usually are not that creative, you know? Gotcha. No, yeah. I get it. I get it. I just, I was just curious having, you know, like I said, I've dealt with some artistic people and I love them, but there is sometimes that resistance, yeah. but there are the people who just embrace the change too. So yeah. that's really positive and good to hear. Um, did you have any, sub, any surprises like at like um, any big surprises when you were making that transition from your, you know, you're trying to make it tastier was there anything that surprised you because it sounds like you had some limitations with the technology. Was there anything that, that you, you know, from where you're from journey to NASA to making these, higher end pizzas was there anything from the tech that surprised you or some application that you didn't realize was going to happen or didn't happen yeah so uh you know the high hydration dough is really difficult to make by hand okay. right so because it's uh, it's uh, if you go at uh, 80% 78% to 82% uh, water uh it is super difficult to make the uh, pizza base with hand you need so much flour and it requires a lot of skills to kind of flip it back and forth and make a circle yeah. now um you know this was a jose andreas uh the first time he mentioned you know jose andreas he was we we, we displayed this machine in washington dc and uh, you know he has some uh all his restaurants are michelin star by the way uh, and he's well-known chef and he came over and he saw the machine and he say Guys, you can go even 85, 86% hydration. Um, and uh, I say, do you want to do it? And he was like, quick, say, do you want to do it right now? Let's do it. You know. Cool. So uh, we took the dough out of the dough we had in the cartridge and then added water. You know, we had a weighing scale. He and with 85% uh, hydration, we 3D printed the pizza and we put it in the all when it came out. And the the dough was so crisp from outside and soft from inside. So just from, you know, this sort of surprises uh, were fascinating to our team, you know. So good. Uh, that was a good surprise then. It was a good surprise. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So you, you're making these pizzas. You've now kind of improved them. You've worked with this Michelin chef, which just sounds incredible. Um, so did you... Did you have any big breaks on the catering side between then and there or anything like anything break open or where are you now on that catering side? Well, we, we are not, you know, we always wanted to make uh, food processing machinery. Gotcha. You know, we, engineers. we never wanted to go in the catering business, but uh, the biggest breakthrough and surprise, you know, you mentioned uh, came when, uh, you know, Ohio State, as I mentioned, is my alma mater and uh, 2016, the first game of the season, you know, the College of Engineering and College of Arch Architecture jointly uh, have this uh, event where people come in and have some food and all the alumni and all the students, they gather and they discuss and they, then they go to game. So we were selected as a catering company and there was cool. a 
surprise, you know. So uh, obviously it's my alma mater, so we had to do a good job. Yeah. So my team came over and uh, uh, right in between, uh, you know, this College of Engineering, Co College of Architecture, there's a there's a space where we were making pizza and uh, it was a great event. And, uh, you know, to our surprise, the next day we were leaving out of Columbus because we were in Texas. And I got a call from dispatch, Columbus dispatch, that uh, Jim Grody, the founder of Donato's Pizza, wants to talk to you. I can can I can I can I connect you right away? Wow. Yeah. And uh, we were literally at the airport that time. And I said, sure, you know, I mean, and you I was that call. That, yeah, it will probably be next day or when I go to Texas, I'll have a nice Zoom call or something. Uh, but he called me in three minutes. You know? Oh, wow. So that was no time to think about it, which might be no good. Time. That might be a good yeah. thing. Good thing. No and, time to get nervous. Yeah. And he had seen this on the front page of Dispatch Sunday. And he he's, he's a great innovator. I didn't know yeah. him back, uh, you know, back then. Uh, but I now know that he's, he's a great innovator. And besides Donato's, he has started Grody Company and other many companies. And he still keep inventing things, you know. So he said, guys, can you come over today? Um, uh, I want to see your machine and, uh, you know, we can have probably a lunch or so uh, or maybe a dinner and we can chat. So I said, you know, I'm, I'm going in the flight in the next five minutes, but I, I will probably meet you next week or a week later. So that's how we got connected. And uh, um, he, he is always fascinated by this entrepreneurship because he started a company yeah, uh, all by himself. Uh, he, you know, back in the days he quit, uh, he was also at Ohio State, student at Ohio State University, and he quit his studies uh, and, and started Donato's, and he hired a bunch of kids, you know, uh, on the street, and uh, that was his first company. So he he enjoys this entrepreneurship and yeah. hustle. So, so he probably uh, saw a little bit of that in you, it sounds like. So that's that's a great connection yeah, to make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and, so that, so this actually, so that the um, catering side actually did exactly what you kind of hoped in a sense that, because you said you wanted to get on the processing side, it sounds like that actually had a direct connection to getting you to somebody who could help you on the processing side. Is that, is that? Yeah. What, yeah. What that was, that was a, a, there was a pivotal movement for the company, myself, my team, everyone. Awesome. Uh, because, uh, you know, he invested uh, in January, you know, it usually takes by the time they say any investor says they want to invest, they do the due diligence and um, uh, all the process. It takes about three months. So uh, from by the time he decided to invest in, uh, we had uh, in January of 2017, the investment came in. And as a part of the deal, we had to move from Texas to Ohio, which okay. I, it's home. I graduated from Ohio State. My parents sure. live here. So it well, was that's great. Back. So you can't have to come back to you, be closer to your family too. So double exactly. bonus. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. So uh, uh, it was a great situation for me. And uh, uh, we started, you know, our operations uh, in Columbus, in Gehanna, just next door to Donato's headquarters and Grody Company headquarters. Now, nobody knows Grody Company, but that's the company um, that was started by Mr. Jim Grody, who also started Donato's. And uh, that company makes a commercial grade um, uh, uh, pizza making equipment. So, you know, all, almost 90% of the pizza that you see in the market, frozen pizza, they are made by Grody Company's machinery. 
uh, then they expand it to the sandwich line and they also make their conveyors and the slicing equipment, sandwich making lines. You know, they, they make all sorts of things now. It's a, they have global presence. Mm -hmm. So he, he saw that there is, you know, this machine is a new way of making pizza as well as it can make other types of food. Sure. So that was a major, you know, it's a perfect uh, partnership for you then yeah. in a way, and it gives you a chance to scale probably quicker. And yeah. so is that where you guys are now? Is that at the edge there? Is that you got at the edge innovation hub? Yep. In the same okay. campus as Donato's and Grody company. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I've been there. I've been there. It's a nice, nice yeah. location there in Gahanna. It's a beautiful place. Um, and uh, so, so you, so you've now you've moved from Texas, you're back at Ohio State University, I'm uh, I'm a Bearcat, but I'll I'll accept the I'll accept the Ohio State. I, I know, Lose, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I gotta I know a lot of you Ohio State folks, so I gotta gotta be nice. Um, but it's a great university. I'm just joking. But um, so you you move up there, um, and now you start getting to focus more on your processing side, where 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 we've talked a lot about the the catering side, and now it's opened up some doors. Tell us a little bit about the journey on the processing yeah. side and where you guys yeah. are. Yeah, so you know, the first week when we moved to uh, Columbus, uh, we had uh, several meetings with the C-levels of Donato's as well as Grody Company. And the first thing they told us is that this machine is not, uh, I mean, it's cool that it's making pizza, but it's not, they don't see the application uh, in the long term. Uh, and they very clearly mentioned that they see the application in dessert decorating uh, machinery. And the best way to uh, start developing anything is to first talk to customers. So they connected, I mean, this was a, a, a Grody family. They suggested talking to us to Cheryl's Cookies. She's also in Columbus, Ohio. They have their biggest operation in Columbus, Ohio. And so we talked to them and they took us to their manufacturing facility and they, they had everything, almost everything almost 100% was happening manually. And there were hundreds of decorators decorating these cookies. And it, it was a headache because uh, it's, I mean, it's not that it's a big headache. You know, they, a manager, a facility manager always like to see a mix of uh, handmade with, and as well as automation. And the reason being, you know, when people call off sick or um, they quit their job, the automation can help. And when automation machines are also not consistent, you know, once a year or once in six months, they will also um, issues breakdowns or break down. So at, at that time, you know, the people can can uh, share the load. So a healthy balance is what facility managers usually look for. Gotcha. Uh, the the jobs which are uh, very laborious and it's strenuous to hands or to back, they always want to automate those. So they say that guys, if he had this machine, industrial level NSF certified uh, sanitary machine, they would buy it ten years ago. You know, so, so was there was there already again part of my I just don't know was there already a lot of automation around decoration or was it primarily uh, manually done? Uh, so if you if you take a look at uh, any any dessert decorating business uh, or or a manufacturing plant. Um, a lot of processes are automated. So for example, if you want to bake a cake and uh, take the cake out and cut the cake, uh, there are machineries out there. We know ovens do baking, right? We, we know that for sure. Yeah. But in the frosting, the uh, frosting sheet on top of the cake, uh, there are also machines that does that. 
um, then putting the, the borders, the bottom border and the top border on the cake, uh, that it is also a robot that does that. But then comes if you want to put a flower, if you want to write that happy gets more birthday, complicated. That becomes more complicated. So okay. the robots at that time uh, were not able to do that uh, that level of intricate stuff. Gotcha. And that's where our machinery uh, was thought to be used, and it's gotcha. right. It, it and it can do it. Happen. It can do it at a faster scale or higher scale than a higher human. scale. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Continue. I just was curious how where where yeah. you were at that time. So this is fa fascinating to me. The problems you're solving with this. So so you're so you come in and they they would have bought this machine ten years ago, and at this point, how many machines are you actually manufacturing the machines at this point? Or are you still kind of just testing and seeing where the applications can go? No, we manufacture uh, our machines are everywhere in North America. Okay, uh, and. Uh, East Coast, West Coast, South, oh, perfect. Canada, Mexico. We, we have machines everywhere. But the, you know, this was the beginning of uh, realization of uh, what is the problem in the industry. Yeah. Right. And and then once when uh, you know all team as a Grudy company and Donados and our team, we were convinced that this is the direction we should pursue, because there's a problem, real problem. Then then it was you know talking to customer and finding out. Uh, 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 what size and what certifications and what speed and all those details. So once we had all the specs, that's when we started uh, going. We went back to the drawing board and designed everything. And in fact, you know, SIFT was our partner at that time. We received a grant from the state of Ohio to um, integrate the sanitation aspect with our machine. This okay. was 2017, 2018, late 2017, early 2018. The SILF team helped us in the sanitation oh, part. Yeah. And uh, 2018, we introduced our first machine. We called it R4 or Revision 4. There's a fourth. After three prototypes, we made the fourth one that we could sell. So we sold four machines. And in fact, you know, the stories that uh, when we were building, our sales team started approaching the bakeries. And before we had a machine ready, we had sold four machines, meaning we confirm that there is a market for this. Gotcha. There is a need for it. And yeah. Uh, so R4, you know, we, we sold four machines um, and we told them that, look, guys, this is a, not a complete machine, but we'll work with you. If it requires upgrade, we'll do it at no cost, software or hardware upgrade at no cost. Um, in return, we will sell you the machine at a low price and we will build relationship. So... Um, so these were the early adopters, right? So we learned so much over next six months. You know, we monitored these machines. And in fact, you know, one machine was in New York, uh, one in Columbus, two in Columbus, and <clears throat> one in Wisconsin. So our team was, you know, ready to fly all over the place, learn uh, and operate uh, or, or run the production with them. And then we came up with a R5 Revision 5. Uh, in 2019, 2019. Uh, super, you know, we, we sold 10 machines and these machines were for the dog treat. Uh, so we had, you know, oh. we have two machines in Delaware state, you know, they are doing uh, dog treat. We have one machine in Boston. They are also doing dog treat. Are these decorated dog treats like the dog bakery kind yeah. of thing? Oh, well, I got two dogs. Yeah. And they, we yeah. take them there for their birthdays. I know exactly what you're talking about. Those are Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. They say happy birthday. Most yeah. likely. The yeah. happy birthday, they're probably done by our machines. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's cool. Yeah, three-dog bakery. We go there. Yeah. Yep, awesome. 
Yeah, the top two they use our machine, so it's it's most likely done by our machine. Yeah, Definitely. that's cool. Nobody nobody could tell that though. <laughs> no, they look amazing. That's cool. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I, I didn't. No, not at all. Yeah, that's a transition. Now, how yeah. did you? That is there is there anything different between a a dog uh, pet bakery and a regular bakery, or is that just to happen to be the market that you guys got into? Um, both in a way. So, um, the, the we presented our R four machine at uh, a show called IBIE, International Bakery. And it happens every three years in Las Vegas. And that's where people saw this robot and the cost was right. You know, yeah. all the other robots, first of all, they cannot do this intricate decoration. Plus they cost, you know, half a million dollars. Yeah, Which the old machines, they cost, um, you know, 75, $80,000. And they are able to do way more intricate designs. So your actual, you guys actually have a cost advantage then too, which I yeah. don't think we've hit on. So you have a, you have a lower capital buy-in yeah. and you have a higher intricacy threshold. So your, your machine can do things at a higher uh, scope scale. I don't know what right word would be exactly, for that, yeah. but, a, but a lower buy-in. Uh, yeah. So maybe a mid-sized bakery can do it, uh, can yeah. get into your technology then, or a mid-sized bakery that yeah. maybe, so that's interesting. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah, we have sold our machines mostly to the mid-scale, mid to large scale. The large scale, we have sold uh, one production line, and I will tell you about that later, but we have a very high through production line in uh, Mexico City, the largest royalized cookie uh, company. And uh, yeah, that that can decorate at about 12 cookies at the same time. And this one, the, the earlier one, R4 or R5, they can do one cookie at a time. So yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so we the, that's how you know the the dog treat decoration company they approached us at IBIE, and uh, we we sold you know machines to them, uh, mostly located in East Coast. Then um, cool. you know uh, we have the same version R five. We have uh, sold to bakeries in uh, Pennsylvania, Canada, uh, Louisiana, Texas, uh, West Coast in Seattle area. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's all over the place. That's but cool. Then the next, uh, you know, the if you wanted to step up, meaning uh, even higher throughput production, you know, this bakery that I mentioned in in Mexico City, they also hire hundreds of decorators. I mean, it's a, it, it they have a huge facility, roughly hundred thousand square feet, and it's full of people, and I don't even I can't even fathom how they manage all these people, you know. Um, and they have a, like a hierarchy of manager and then two managers and then three managers. It's like they have a team of managers managing all these hundreds of people doing this cookie decoration. So, and the owner, he's a, he's a uh, you know, he's, he's a visionary guy. Uh, he wants to, you know, be as big as uh, bimbo bakeries in Mexico. You know, they are, they are big, but his ambitions are going bigger. even bigger. And he, he realized that without automation, it's next to impossible. So he purchased our machine, but he told us that, look, I want uh, 20 times higher throughput than your uh, simple you currently can do. Yeah. And so we designed a machine that can decorate 12 cookies at a time and it can move extremely fast. I mean, it, it's so fast that if you are close enough, you, you feel scared, you know, gotcha. so it's caged and it's kind of covered, you know, but when you're close by, it feels like uh, super fast. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, we you're sold... actually redesigning the machines based on customer needs continuously, even now, uh, for, scope uh, have... and, um, so yeah, slow down now, slow down a little bit. So are your machines 
generally, and again, part of my ignorance. So do you have a standard machine or are they pretty much, so you have pretty much a standard machine now, but you, you started out with your version one kind of testing, Hey, this, let's yeah. see how this works. And you've actually redesigned as you've learned from customers. So you start out with a lower buy-in, but we're able to really develop it to customers needs. So now you're exactly. much yeah. better place. Yeah. What version are you on now? Did you say five? Well, 5.2 is the, is the, that's one product line, you know, so okay. 5.2. Sure. Right? I'm, yeah. I'm oversimplifying. Sorry. Yeah. So that, that product uh, is uh, revision five. It's, it's well suited for a mid scale to even small scale bakery. Uh, and uh, you know, now it's at the level where we do marginal improvement on that. So we, we say it's 5.2, 5.3, 5.4, you know, that level of, uh, improvements that product is locked pretty much so if somebody orders we can quickly deliver that you can do that, it. Yeah. it doesn't take a lot of tweaking well this yeah. is fascinating so now just i don't want to go backwards too far but are you still doing the catering at all or have you not kind of moved out of that since you don't need to do that anymore or do you still do some catered pizzas every now and then no we don't no, <laughs> it's yeah. it its purpose and, and survival you know, yeah okay i always ask because i'd like to try one the neapolitan sounded pretty good um, but uh, I'll just have to stick with the Nados next time I'm in Columbus, I guess. Um, so one thing I, I do have, a, I do want to respect your time, but I do have a few couple other things I'd like to like to talk about. Um, one thing I'm always interested in is the future. And yeah. I know it's very hard to talk about technology in the future, but we all you are an entrepreneur and a, a visionary guy. Um, you know, you've talked about where you thought you'd be to where you are. When you look at your technology now and you've kind of had so much more you know knowledge of where it can go what do you see not just for your company but this technology perhaps 3d food what could it be in five years 10 years 20 years do you see its scope expanding and and what kind of things would you what kind of applications do you see for it in in the coming five yeah. 10 20 years yeah well first i'll i'll put a little bit more intrinsic viewpoint about where we are going and then i'll tell you the overview sure of sure right so uh, we recently started pilot with Kroger and uh, Kroger, you know, they many times have difficulty finding cake decorators and the demand for cake is always there. You know, birthdays always come. Right. So they wanted a compact machine that they can put at their bakery, in-store bakery, where customers can walk in, they pick a blind cake and it can do personalized decoration for them. So we are very fortunate, very lucky to have our first machine uh, at Kroger uh, in Gehenna. And uh, the results are looking fabulous as of now. That's great. Uh, and if, uh, you know, all the, there are a lot of leadership team, uh, many leadership team at Kroger uh, watching this pilot. And uh, when they move ahead, uh, we will outfit entire, uh, Columbus, uh, all the Krogers in, in Columbus will have our machines. Um, so that's the next phase. And then we will roll it out across the country. Wonderful. And I think uh, it will go um, almost uh, at almost all the retail bakeries across the country. So that's a great opportunity, scale up opportunity for us. Um, now, uh, you know, when I, when, when I talk about, so that's, that's our goal, you know, we want yeah, to that's wonderful. We want to be not just in the United States, but in Canada and Mexico and Europe and Australia and Asia. We want to sell these machines and provide a complete solution for automated decorate, uh, decoration. Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. So uh, we are on track by far, even though we are first machine, but uh, it's exciting. It's yeah, really it sounds exciting. exciting. I'm excited for you. 
Uh, now, when I talk about uh, you know overall industry, there are there are quite a few companies who have introduced 3D food printer as a product, or they've used it for a variety of purposes. There's a company in Barcelona uh, that uh, sells a tabletop a 3D food printer machine uh, to high-end restaurants, so they can create some really intricate desserts, you know, which you know sell for um, you know way more expensive compared to other desserts. Uh, and they are they are moderately successful in in doing so. Now <clears throat> there is a company in Israel. Uh, they make um, uh, the uh, vegan steak or alternative steak, and it tastes uh, and fish and other products as well. But it tastes very very close to uh, actual steak. Uh, and they use three D printer or three D food printer to uh, create their texture and shape. Interesting. Uh, I see a huge opportunity in that particular industry uh, uh, as a as a food processing machinery uh, or food processing equipment uh, provider. To... Is there any problem around the technology right now for scale that that maybe needs to be solved to hold it back? Does that make sense? Like, um, is well, there something every... from an engineering side that that you know is it that well, keeping it from being more more massively used? Yeah, yeah. So let me tell you the you know in the food processing industry, uh, when it started in early 1960s, 1970s, everybody wanted it, uh, let's let's make fast and cheap because the, as you have more throughput, the product can be cheaper more and more accessible to people, right? But there are there are products which cannot move fast. For example, if, uh, if you want really a good cut of steak, uh, it, where does it start? You know, it starts from growing the cow and slaughtering the cow, cutting the meat, putting in the grocery store, right? Which the whole process takes, you know, in context, 12 plus months, right? Can't speed so it if you are, uh, if you if there is a machine that can make a very similar type of taste and texture of steak, um, and if each steak, each, each cut of steak takes, let's say, uh, 15 minutes that is totally acceptable because it already takes 12 plus months yeah. right so um it, uh, that that's the context i'm talking about so sure. if you are putting somebody's decorating cake at industrial level it is going to take few minutes anyways right you are not going to have every second one nicely decorated cake sure. uh, coming out right uh, now uh, if our machine can uh, can do the same decoration in 30 seconds it's totally acceptable. So there are markets where where this 3D footprinting technology can fit in. So got that's it. that's what we are targeting as well. They're just economies of scale really matter yeah. for, for it. Yeah. I got it. Just to give you another context of that, let's say if you have injection molded parts, you know, the same parts coming over and over there, you can you can make millions of parts a day, right? But 3D printer, 3D printed part, it will take hours. Yeah, but there's still a huge, huge market because you're making it for the first time and it will be done, you know, right on your desk and maybe at your home or at your, or at your office. Yes. Yes. That makes total sense. Yeah. I gotcha. So yeah. I, yeah, I'm sorry. This is interesting. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. No. So that, 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 that is always, you know, so uh, as I said, you know, I, I was very fortunate uh, connecting myself with Grody family mm -hmm. Uh and all the smart people, experienced people in the food and food processing, both uh, within, you know, uh, uh, maybe 20 or 30 feet away from where I am, right? Oh, so yeah. 
wealth of experience uh, helped me uh, so much in understanding the food market itself. Well, and it, it's someone who's relatively new to the food market myself. I didn't work in food three or four years ago, four years ago. It is. It's a very different market with very different challenges than any anything else as far as yeah. the, product, the product. You can't put it on a shelf forever. You've got to transport it differently. The market, the people that consume it behave differently than any other product. It's it. I, I totally I mean, I understand what you're saying. I don't know all the answers as much as you do, but it is a very fascinating market. So to hear you talk about this and, and the different challenges is fascinating to me. Um, I'm very excited to even hear more. Uh, just for the audience, I, I met Anjan, I think in 2019 or 2020, and just to see how much he's grown, it's been very exciting. Um, I do have, I'll, I like I said, out of respect for your time, I do have just two more quick questions, and uh, I hope maybe we can maybe touch base again in a, a year or two and see where you guys are, um, but <clears throat> I do want to talk about, um, just because we are Ohio, what are some advantages, and you obviously like Ohio, you're from Ohio State, what are some advantages of, for you being a food company in Ohio uh, that you Yeah, yeah, I mean. About? Uh, so Ohio is a food hub and nobody knows about it. You know, nobody knows a whole lot about Ohio or Columbus or Cleveland or any area, you know. Um, and uh, I was also when I started company, I thought that, you know, I'll get my capital from either from East Coast, West Coast. And I will probably have, a, you know, my company in Sunnyvale, California or Cupertino next to Apple yep. headquarters. You know, Sunnyvale. I was dreaming about it day in and day out. Um, and yeah. Uh, um, here is what happened, you know, when I, when Jim Grody met us, you know, as I mentioned that he has two companies, food uh, production company, restaurants, as well as food processing machinery manufacturing company, right? Yeah. Uh, and when, when we came in and, and when I realized the wealth of knowledge and information and acumen, business acumen uh, that uh, the people around me has, you know, uh, it is unparalleled. I, I, I could never find anyone like this in California. Um, there is uh, obviously Donato's Pizza. There is Wendy's headquarters here, uh, not too far from Arby's headquarters up north. Uh, there's Charlie's headquarters. You know, new chains uh, popping up. You know, this Korean bibimbap, uh, um, bibimbap, bibimbap yeah. uh, coming up, uh, growing so fast, right? Agape Mediterranean uh, restaurant popping up uh, over here. Food entrepreneurship and practical understanding of how to go in the market, not just with the food, but with food processing machineries as well. And if you notice, there are so many food processing manufacturing companies over here that very few people know about. It is you know? interesting, isn't it? Like yeah. people don't understand. And that's sort of, to be honest with you, I'm glad you said that because that's one of the reasons we want to do this podcast is to yeah. kind of, I realized starting at SIFT, there's so many people don't understand how much of this happens in Ohio yeah. Even if it's 20 miles from their house, like what? That's made 20 miles from my house? Yes. It's, yeah. So it's great to hear you say that. Yeah. Sorry, can and you please so, continue? That's, that's yeah. great to hear. We as Ohioans are are known to be humble. You know, Maybe that's the reason that we don't go out and tell everyone you know, at the, in the East Coast or West Coast that what's going on over here in Columbus. So you know, I always call Columbus a hidden gem. I, mean, I can call entire Ohio a hidden gem in a way. I agree. Right? So... Um, uh, the wealth of information that uh, that has helped uh, my company grow. Uh, and, you know, here is a key for a company like mine, uh, BHEX, Food Processing Machinery, a slow but steady growth is a, is a key for success. And, and uh, in Ohio, uh, that is what, what is appreciated everywhere. 
you know, I mean, if you, if you, if, you know, company grows billion dollar company in uh, one year and then collapses the next day, uh, there is no point of that progress, right? Yeah. But uh, slow but steady growth is some something that everybody appreciates. And they and do, that, it is um, different here that way. I, yeah. I I do understand that. And it's it's a it's a largely ag agrarian society, but as well as largely manufacturing base, mm -hmm. right? So somebody's uncle, somebody's aunt, somebody's brother, sister, dad, they they always work in they have worked in manufacturing plants. Yeah. Right. So when they come, they also bring that experience back home. And when this kids grow up and when I hire them as an engineer, you know, it's not just one single engineer working, but the entire experience of their family uh, coming to my company. And that is impossible in California. Let me tell you that. Yeah, it's interesting. So my previous job was company was based in Sunnyvale. So I, I understand uh, that's, that's it's very, you articulate that very well, better than I could. So I, it's very nice to hear. I feel the same way. I, I lived outside Ohio for a good portion of my adult life and moved back. And I feel the exact same way. <laughs> like it's, wow, I really appreciate it now that I had been gone and seen other places. Uh, what a wonderful place Ohio is. So that's wonderful to hear. Um, yeah. Well, I'll ask you one of the final question on John. And um, my question is very simple. Um, you've got a lot of experience now and you may have kind of already answered it, but if you were going to give advice to a young person who maybe has an idea or a dream of starting their own food business, you know, what, whatever that may be, um, what, what one bit of advice would you give to a young, you know, maybe 18, 19 year old kid or fresh out of college, just a young person, uh, yeah they've got this idea for a technology they want to start, what would you be the one most important advice you would give them? Wow. There's, there's no one advice, right? It's a, it's a collective. Uh, Easy question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Collective experience. But you know, what I would say is that uh, uh, I, I, before I started BHEX, I had started two other companies which failed and uh uh, what I suggest to a young, well, single most advice, if you ask me, you know, I have so many advice, but single most advice is that uh, during your career uh, as an entrepreneur, you will most likely have 99 failures and one success, right? So, uh, and when success comes, it feels like you deserve it. Uh, there is no champagne, you know, flying, there's nothing. It's just that we are already grounded by 99 failures. And when success comes, you are just, it's a next day. That's how you would feel. And uh, the failure after failure, the 99 failures uh, should not be bogged down. You know, your your uh, mental health and your uh, courage and uh, inspiration should not be uh, shaken by the failures. So that's the probably the single most advice. I may have a lot more to say, you know. Well, we'll have to have you on next year for our season three, and and you can give some more. But I, I don't think we could end the show with anything better than that. That was really profound, and and I think it's perfect advice. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, and Anjan, we appreciate your time, and good luck in your future endeavors. And I hope we get a chance to talk to you again down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much, Todd, for uh, giving me this opportunity. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Have a great day. Okay. You have been listening to Food Stories, the podcast, a production of SIFT. 
We appreciate your support. If you have any food processing stories you would like to share, reach out to us at info at siftinnovation.org. And be on the lookout for our next episode coming soon, telling more of these fascinating and important stories. Until then, stay well and stay fed.